chapter 8, verse 12, says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We're going to be talking a little bit about salt and light today. A little bit about what it means to be a Christian. We've been going through this series called Christian. The the subtitle is, It's Not What You Think. This whole series has been a a really big uh, focus on the word Christian. Now Christian was, was a word that was a negative uh, negatively connotated word where people would use it as sort of slander to say, oh, you little Christ, oh, you little Christians trying to be, you know, you're holier than thou, you perfect people. So we're talking about Christian. What does it mean in our, our modern context? Do people call us Christian as a good thing or as a bad thing? Is it a label that I want? Or is it a label that I don't want? What should we do with this word? Now, Christian literally does mean little Christ, or follower of Christ, or disciple of Christ. And so we're, we're trying to sort of get through the muck and the mire of all of this. What does this word mean? I like to think of it as a label. As a, it's like a name tag that you wear. Some people like to wear that name tag really pr- proudly. I'm sure um, many of you, if you've ever been asked, are you a Christian? Or if somebody asked, you know, what do you believe? You say, I'm a Christian. Many of you might, might have said that before. And that's just sort of this generic term that can mean so many things. Well, are you a Presbyterian? Are you a Baptist? Are you a Catholic? Uh, are you, in, in some circles, they, Mormons say that they're Christians as well. Um, are you a Christian? Well, that can mean a whole lot of things. What you think about the world could mean a whole lot of things with Christian. But the negative part is, uh, we think back to the Crusades. You know, that was, that was a really tough time to be a Christian. 700 years ago, when being a Christian meant going to war and, and, and plundering and pillaging under the label Christian. But we wear these labels. So myself, you know, I wear this label Christian. It's this big name tag on me. People at work know, hey, that, that's that a guy that hangs out at that church all the time. You know, he's, the, he's that guy that every once in a while they let him, they let him talk and they don't do it often because he, you know, they hear him. Um, nobody got that joke, goodness gracious. Man, tough crowd. Ooh, ooh. Um, but they know that I've got that name tag on. And I wear it. And I wear it proudly. But when people ask me, well, what kind of church do you go to? And I'm Baptist. Like, what? It's a, it's a Baptist church. Ba- ba- oh, Baptist. Ugh. Ugh. And I, I don't really like to tell people that I go to a Baptist church, you know? We don't have the name Baptist in our church, so I just, usually I don't say anything about that. I'll just say, Smithsburg Valley Church. And they're like, oh, is that a Christian church? Uh-huh, yep, yep. Yeah, we're Christians. There's, there's a negative connotation to that name tag, that label. Oh, you're one of those Baptist people. Look, I've got no problem being a Baptist, because I, I, I love it, okay? But sometimes it's, there's a negative connotation to it. Um, think of the term redneck. People love being called redneck, and other people don't love being called redneck. Like myself, please don't call me a redneck, even though I live in West Virginia. Okay, don't hate. I might live in West Virginia, but this neck is not red at all. So there, there's labels. So I, I've got this label Christian, and then I've got this label Baptist. Um, and then I've got this label. Now, this is not as, not as big as my other labels, but it has red blinking lights, and people see, when, they, when people see it, they go, oh my goodness, that kid must be crazy. I'm a pastor's kid. 
I'm a pastor's kid. Anybody know pastor's kid other than me? Yeah, you know pastor's kid Josh, Pastor Alan's son Josh. He's crazy. Uh, Micah, who I uh, sort of identify with on the crazy scale. Um, we've got uh, uh, Andrea and, and, and Jared. So we've got four pastor's kids here. And um, pa- being a pastor's kid, there's a real stigma attached to that label. Either they're a, a goody two-shoes who's always going to tattletale, or they're you know, this wild and crazy kid that has left the faith and, and completely rebelled. Some of us are pretty normal. Like, I, I like to think I'm pretty normal, but you know, there's, there's a label and it flashes red lights and people are, I don't know what to think of this guy. He's a pastor's kid. He, he grew up in a weird house. But we all have this label and, and this label Christian is an important one to discuss. So we've been talking about, why don't we, instead of just settling for Christian, why don't we talk about maybe being a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is someone who learns, and I, I took a test one time about what my five biggest strengths were, and my number one was a, I'm, I'm a learner. I don't know if that means I'm not good at applying what I learn, but I'm a learner. Um, it says that we're pupils. We're, we are, you know, I was a teacher, I had pupils. Uh, we're an apprentice, we're, we come alongside. We're a follower, we follow. That's, that's pretty simple. And we are an adherent. We have a history of a church for over 2,000 years. We adhere to the traditions that have been passed down to us from generation to generation to generation. We worship God the way that we do because we adhere to the faith of a Christian faith. So that's disciple. This, this label Christian isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's what you make of it. If I'm going to be a Christian, I ought to be a disciple. And to be a disciple, that means I need to learn. And that's being a part of a small group. That's being here on Sunday mornings. I need to be a pupil. I need to actually study. I need to actually open God's word and learn from him. I need to be an apprentice. I need to come alongside someone who's been there and they've done that and learn how to be more like Jesus as they've been more like Jesus. Uh, The apostle Paul wrote in, in one of his letters, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's being an apprentice of Jesus. Uh, Follower. Being the light is something to follow. When you, when you drive at nighttime and you have your lights on, you're following where the lights are showing you where to go. And an adherent, uh, that's what we're supposed to do by uh, following, not the traditions, but following the word of God. And we adhere ourselves to what God has told us in, in his word. So that we talked about a few weeks ago, if you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. Any parents in here? Okay, yeah, a lot of parents. Have you ever told your child, don't do as I do, do as I say? Yeah. If you haven't, it might come one day, maybe you've said it without saying the words. Look, I might have messed up, but don't do that. I heard that a lot growing up. With Jesus, the cool thing is, what he did is what he said. And so, not only do we watch what he said and listen to what he said, but we watch what he did by loving people and pursuing them. Then we talked about last week, this was a really tough message last week, and I know our small groups really had a lot of conversation, both good and difficult. It's our business to judge insiders. It's none of our business to judge outsiders. This was tough. We talked about the passage that says, uh, there's a speck in your brother's eye and a log in yours. Let's talk about judging. There's such a negative 
connotation to the word judging, and people have a hard time. I don't like the idea of judging someone. And the cool thing is, is that Jesus says, look, you're in no place to judge someone when you've got your own issues. And we're in no place to judge someone as a Christian, as a disciple. I've got no place to judge someone who's not a follower of Jesus. And even, even when they are a follower of Jesus, I've got to make sure I'm, my heart is right with the Lord. And I've got to do it out of loving them, not out of spite. Many of us have been to churches, uh, perhaps, where people just want to be right. And they want you to know that they're right and you're not. And that's not loving people. That is not coming at people with grace. And so I think that's where a lot of the issue and the difficulty comes from, from that judginess. People just want to be right. But if we're seeking the Lord and we're seeking to be like Jesus, we just want the other person to be right. We don't care if we're right or not. All right, so we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you on your phone or, or whatever, I would love it if you would follow along with us in your own Bible. It'll be on the screen. But if you have a different version, sometimes it can give you a different idea of what's going on. My hope this morning is that we're going to follow what Jesus said, and we're going to try to be faithful to what um, he talked about here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 was the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. This is an important um, really not the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but this is an important time where he sat down with his apostles and he laid it all out. So let's, let's jump in right away. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Let's pause there real quick. A lot of times when we think of this message, we think that there's this giant crowd there. But if we really look at what it says, it says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. He got out of Dodge. He says, I need to get away for a little bit. And he brought his disciples and they sat down and they had small group time. They had small group time. And Jesus laid it all out for this small group, for these disciples, for these followers. He says, this is what it means to be a follower of me. And he's talking to them. Let's look at what he says. Then he began to teach them saying, the poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I don't like the idea of poverty in my own life. I don't like the idea of being poor. When you, when you look at the American dream, being poor is the opposite of the American dream. But it says here that we are blessed. This week I, wanna, this week I, I saw this, it, it absolutely floored me. I, there was this pastor, and I hate to call him a pastor, but he is, he, he's in charge of a church. And he put this out on Facebook and Twitter and all over the place. He said, Jesus came to earth to bleed and die for your financial prosperity. Whew. If that was true, I would be living in a mansion right now. Because I believe Jesus came to bleed and die for me, but not for my financial prosperity. So let's talk about what the real blessing is. That's heresy, That what he said. Heresy, which means completely wrong, false teaching. Jesus did not bleed and die for our financial prosperity. He bled and died so that we could have eternal life in him. So we could enjoy him forever. So when, we're, when we look at this word blessed, and it's highlighted every time it shows up except once. Sorry about that, I missed that one. 
this, the, we, we see the word blessed. Let's not think of blessed as in more money in my pocket or my bank account's looking really good or I'm always healthy all the time or I always have the perfect situation or the perfect job or my family always is perfect. That's not what blessed means. We're going to talk about what it does mean. But let's, let's get that out of the way that blessed is not money in your pocket. The poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I am so excited for the day when the new heaven and the new earth come together and I can enjoy God and his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And the riches and the riches and the riches of God are are shared with me and shared with you. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now this poor in spirit part, that's the difficult part. Now Now if we just cut that out and said, Um, they are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That sounds fantastic. Awesome. Can we just cut all that poor in spirit part out? We can't. Poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I I like to think of it as uh, there's some humility. There's some sadness there. There's some trial and difficulty, things that we have to go through. Poor in spirit. Sounds difficult. But it says that we're blessed. If you've gone through things in your life, if you've had to experience things if, that maybe were not ideal, and I know each and every one of us has, and we've been poor in spirit, God is ready for blessing. And he's given you a promise of the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to the next verse, verse 4. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. Mourning. We could focus on mourn, but let's look at comforted. For they will be comforted. We don't know what comfort is until we know what uncomfortable is. We don't know what it means to be wrapped up in the goodness and grace of Christ until we experience the cold, dark bitterness of the world. Comfort. We don't know what comfort is until we know what uncomfortable is. So those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn. That means, that means life is going to be sad sometimes. Life is going to be hard. This example, uh, when, I was, um, when I was a senior in college, and around the time that I was graduating, my, my, my grandmother passed away um, on, uh, in May. I just graduated college. My grandmother passed away, and I was there the night that there was a car accident. My grandmother went to the hospital, and she never came home. Um, And six weeks before that, my aunt passed away. And it it was all of a sudden, it was a heart attack, and she was only about 50 or 51 at the time. And she passed away all this, very suddenly. And there was a, there was a great, great trial of mourning in my family. It was awful, awful. My uncle uh, lost his wife and mother within six weeks. Six weeks. It's like you don't have time to say goodbye. I can't imagine a world where I don't wake up and my wife isn't there and and I can't give my mom a call. What an incredible time of mourning. And I got away with my uncle, and we just looked at each other, and he just, he just wept. He sobbed. He lo- this was after my grandmother had passed away, and, and 
he was just distraught. And I wish I had the words at that time to say, and I wish that Matthew 5 had come to mind, and, and I could have just said, Uncle Gary, I love you. And it says, Jesus has promised that we're going to mourn together, but we're blessed. God's going to bring the comfort. We might know it, it just might not feel like it. There's comfort there. And I can, I can guarantee you that he understands the goodness and grace of God and, and the incredible uh, comfort that only God can bring. People try to find their comfort in alcohol. People try to find their comfort in food. People try to find their comfort in sex. People, people try to find their comfort in work. People try to find their comfort in money. In whatever they can f- stuff their, into their hearts. But only the comfort and the goodness and grace of Jesus will bring that comfort. Only that will bring blessing in all of that mourning. As difficult as life can be, Jesus brings comfort and blessing. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Gentle, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's also something that's not very common today. Gentleness. It has to do with our relationships. Being gentle with one another. Having a desire to be kind and generous. I grew up in a, in a home. My, now, my dad was a pastor, like I said, but he was also a former Marine. And now, Marines are incredible men, but gentleness is not their strong suit. Right? If you've ever met a Marine, you know, and maybe the, the one you know, the ones you know, maybe they're pretty gentle, but um, gentleness is not the strong suit of a Marine. So growing up in my house, there, there was sort of a confusion of gentleness at times. Uh, my mom's not very gentle either now that I think about it. She's pretty, she's pretty dynamic. Um, but as, as my dad got older, and as he got further from the Marines, there was an interesting transformation that came. And it wasn't the fact that the Marines were getting further away. It was the fact that he was getting closer to Jesus and he was becoming more and more gentle. And if you ask most people that know my dad today, they say, teddy bear, gentle giant. Some, you know, he's a big guy like I am. And, and it, they're, they're marveled that he could have been a Marine and, you know, all that tough manly stuff. But that's man the guy, but gentle. And that's not a credit to him. That's a credit to Jesus. That's a credit to the spirit working in and through him right here. Because my father's been blessed in his gentleness. And it says that they will inherit the earth. And that doesn't mean that you and I are going to own a hundred acres each and we're the richest people. When we inherit the earth, that means that we have this incredible influence and this incredible hope of God redeeming the world that he created and we get to partake in it. God will redeem the earth because he made it and he said it was good. And we will inherit that, the gentle. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed for they will be filled. And it's the same thing as comfort. You don't know what it means to be filled until you've been empty. We don't know what it means to be filled until we've been empty. Being filled by grace is truly filled. Truly, truly filled. 
Now, this first part is, is important because this, Jesus was talking about our relationships again. God's a very relational God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it pains me. I, I wake up in the morning and I have this incredible hunger and I'm parched spiritually where I just want to see righteousness in my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my, uh, with my son and with my parents and my sister and my in-laws and my grand. I just want, I'm, I'm hungry for it. I don't want confrontation. I don't want conflict. I'm hungry to be good and kind and gentle to them. I'm so thirsty to see our relationship go beyond where it's ever been, where I can speak grace into their life and they can speak mercy into my life and we can have joy together. We can mourn together. We can do everything together because we seek to be right with one another. When we, when we are hunger, hungry and thirsty to be right with God, all those other relationships start to work themselves out too. For they will be filled. Obedience. You can take out Those who hunger, you take out hunger, thirst for righteousness. Those who are obedient are blessed. You get the gold star. And we get the gold stars in school. Yeah, you get the gold star. Blessed. But it's not a gold star of life. It's it's, it's joy. Joy in your relationships. Joy in your work, joy in waking, joy in a sunrise, joy in a sunset, joy in a death of a family member because you know that they were loved by God and that Jesus died for them. Joy. Joy in the passing of a family member because you know that they are experiencing the glory and the goodness of God in full. Joy. Joy in being fired from your job. Because God has something better for you. Because God is maybe making you depend on him a little bit more. Joy. Joy in not getting that job. I've been trying to get a job for years. And it's just not, that that door's not opening. Some of you uh, know that I, I was up for a job recently, and I didn't get it three week, two weeks ago. Um, I cried. I can admit that. I'm man enough. I cried. I cried on the phone with my wife. I cried on the phone with my dad. I cried by myself. I, I, I almost cried talking to Pastor Allen about it, but he's, he's not the kind of guy that lets you cry. But there's joy. That's the blessing. I might, I might have mourned. I might, I might have been upset. I might have been poor in spirit. But I was blessed. I was blessed. Not with a big bank account. I was blessed not with the best looking. I mean, maybe. Maybe being the best looking. I don't know. It's pretty close. Me and Tom Brady, you know. Pretty close up there. But I have Joy. Let's, talk, let's go to the next verse. Let's talk about being merciful. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. That merciful part is so true. 
when you start to show mercy in your relationships, it's, you're so much more likely to get it returned to you. So much more. A smile at the coffee shop, is you're more likely to get a smile back than give me my coffee. I was a barista. I know what that, both sides of that one's all about. Merciful. Merciful. And that means not cursing out the guy that cut you off on the highway. And if you drive an F-250 with four doors and, and green paint, I'm going to show you mercy, okay? Because you cut me off this week. I don't know. You're not in here, obviously. I'm just kidding. But merciful. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. God will show himself to he or she who is pure in heart. And that purity of heart is so difficult to achieve. It's really difficult to be pure in heart when that guy cuts you off. It's really difficult to be pure in heart when your boss maybe tells you something to do and you're like, what? Maybe when you're better at your job than your boss? It's hard to be pure in heart at that moment. It's hard to be pure in heart when somebody punches you in the face and you just say, I love you, brother. Right? It's hard to show mercy and be pure in heart in that moment. But because God has already blessed us, because God already lives inside of us with his spirit, it says that we are blessed. And we are encouraged. No, we are inspired. No, no, we are unable to do anything else but be pure in heart but because we are like Jesus. And then we're blessed. Not with a big bank account. Not with money in your wallet. The pure in heart are blessed for they will see God. God will show himself to us in every situation. The peacemakers are blessed for they will be called sons of God. How, how wonderful it is to be called his child. To be his son or his daughter. It's really difficult to be a peacemaker. Samuel Colt tried with the peacemaker pistol. I'm a football referee for middle school and high school students. And my job, half of my job is being a peacemaker. With players and coaches and other referees. I've really worked on my conflict resolution skills. I'll tell you what. I had, I had some interesting, interesting comments that directed at me yesterday in South Hagerstown. Very interesting. I didn't know I was those things. But apparently I am. It's my job to make peace in my relationships. Where I have a desire to see an honest, open, blessed relationship between two people. Husbands, this is one of your big jobs, to be a peacemaker. Wives, make sure your husband makes peace, okay? I'm kidding. No, it is our job as believers and followers of Christ to to be a peacemaker. And that means at work, that means at home, that means at church. It's hard to be a peacemaker at church sometimes because we want to be right. But when we are a peacemaker, when we are someone who desires to see honest and good relationships based on grace and mercy, we will be called sons and daughters of God. We are his children. 
There's nobody, there's no label I would rather be than a son of God. You don't need to call me Christian. You don't need to call me disciple. When Jesus, when God calls me his son as a co-heir with Jesus, when God calls me his son, that's the best label I could ever have. And so because I want that label, I'm going to be a peacemaker. Because I want to see God, I'm going to be pure in heart. Because I want God and his people to show mercy to me, I'm going to be merciful to others. And this isn't do this and then God will accept you. God has accepted you from before the day you were born. And is ready to see these things come to fruition. And see that blessing and see that joy in your life. Let's go to the next verse. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. When this was written, Rome and the Jewish people, or Rome and the Christians really, they were, how do you put it lightly, at odds with one another? I don't know if you've ever heard the term, it's like a Christian being thrown to the lion's. That's a saying because that really happened. Because in this context, in this culture, Christians were actually being persecuted. Christians were actually being insulted. They were being lied. Nero burned the city of Rome down and he blamed our family for it. He burned their city down and he said, oh, the Christians did it. And sure enough, they got the blame. But they're blessed. All right, what's this blessing you've been talking about? What is this? It's the joy. It's the joy in the little things. It's the joy in the big things. It's the joy when things are terrible. It's the joy when things are good. It's the joy because God is good and because I am not, I rest in his goodness. Joy. Glass bottle Coke, like I've mentioned before. And I'm going to mention it again because the last time I mentioned that, my small group bought me, brought me glass bottle Cokes. So I'm going to keep talking about it until somebody brings me some glass bottle Cokes next week. I find joy in a little bottle of Coke, Coca-Cola. I find joy... Yeah, Coke could sound really <laughs> negative, wouldn't it? Yeah, Coca-Cola. I ordered Coke in the Dominican Republic one time and they looked at me really funny because Coke does mean cocaine down there. Um, I had to specify Coca-Cola. That was interesting. Um, That was a little side note. (coughs) We enjoy the little things, and we enjoy the big things. I come home from work, um, or I'll go to my in-law's house because my son spends the day with his nana. And I'll open the door, and a lot of times he'll just be sitting on the floor playing, and they're goofing off and having fun and reading. But when I open the door, and I come in, and he looks up, and he smiles. Oh, that's joy. That's joy. When I wake up in the morning, and my son is crying, I think that might be him. I don't know. <laughs> and he's crying and he's upset and he's tired. And then he, he, he hits that point when he's like, okay, I'm awake now. And he, and he goes, and he gives you that smile. 
There's joy. I wake up in the morning and my wife is next to me. That's joy. I come in to, to worship on Sunday mornings and I get to sing praises to God and, and, and thank God for his goodness and tell God how good he is and, and, and remind myself of the sacrifice of Jesus and, and completely rest in it. That's joy. Joy. That's the blessing here. Next verse, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your reward is great in heaven. All right. So who wants in? Now we've talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple? So who wants to be in this party up here? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's get the part. Let's talk about what it means to be in this team. Poor? Sad? Meek? Righteous? Merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people just waiting for some reward in heaven. That sounds like a party. Woo! Um, actually, the first two are kind of depressing. Um, and the next ones are really hard. And then the last one is like, why, why can't I just have fun here? So poor and sad, that's, that's depressing. And then meek, that's really, really difficult, being gentle. Being righteous is even harder than being gentle. Being merciful, don't even get me started. That's not a part of what we do here. Pure, we've talked about being pure in heart. That is so difficult. Peaceful, eh, why? Persecuted, I'm not really persecuted. I live in the United States. It's a pretty easy, easy existence. Insulted people. I get insulted, but no big deal. Water off my back. Waiting for some reward in heaven. Okay, so I just live my life and wait to get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven. That's a great song and all, but God did not start your eternal life in heaven. He started it the moment that you decided that he was God, that he was the Lord, and that you were putting all of your faith and trust in Jesus. That is the moment your eternal life, your eternal joy, your eternal blessing began. It doesn't start the moment that you, you die. It, it's not like, well, I just got to suffer through living here, and then I'll, I'll finally get to die and go home and be with Jesus. No, you are in joy and blessing as long as you want it, here and now. In relationships, in worship, in work. Here and now. Despite all of the difficulties, we're blessed. and We have joy, here and now. So Jesus, and, and I say all that to say that Jesus did not speak this way to scare us off. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to say, look, it's only for the really tough, the few, the proud. That's not what it's about. He didn't speak, he, he spoke this way because he was speaking to our future promises, that hope in heaven, and our present hope, which is a life abundant here on earth filled with joy and blessing. Life abundant. That's where a lot of, a lot of times people, you know, they kind of twist that. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly, John chapter 10, 10b. Um, yes, he did do that, 
but not for your checkbook. He came to give you life abundant in joy and grace. That's what, he, that's what the abundance is. That, that's that present hope, abundant joy and grace. And that future promise, he, he even talked about it right here. There's a great reward in heaven. You will inherit the earth. The kingdom of heaven is yours. But being poor, sad, meek, and all of that comes with it. So then he shifts, and I, I'm almost done. I know you're like, thank you, Lord. Uh, I'm almost done. The next verse, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? For it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. He called us salt for a very specific reason. Because salt, 2,000 years ago, was one of the most important things in the world. It was a preservative. It, it, it was added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. Today we call that a refrigerator or a freezer. They didn't have Freon in, you know, AD 35. They didn't have refrigerators and freezers. They, they used salt to preserve what was there. So you, as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus, have an opportunity to be the preservative of the earth. Preserve it for God's grace. Preserve your relationships. Preserve the people you work with by speaking grace into their life, by being, jo- by being joyful, by being blessed. Preserve those relationships just as salt preserves food. So not only does it preserve, but it also brings flavor. We bring flavor to a tasteless existence tasteless. The world without Jesus is bland and blah and tasteless. But because the grace of God appeared, like it says in Titus chapter 3, there's flavor. The grace and mercy of God appeared in in a man named Jesus Christ. And he lived here for for some time. And, And then he told some people about why he was here. And then he told them that he was going to die. And then he died. And then a few days later, he's like, hey, I'm not dead anymore. I'm, a, I'm, I'm alive and I'm risen and I'm here to give you a hope. I'm here to give you a future. And you are here after I'm gone to bring a flavor to the world. No other, no other faith, no other worldview can bring the flavor like Jesus A world without Jesus, I love that t-shirt, no Jesus, no hope. You can have it, if you know Jesus, you'll know hope, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. It's the same thing, it's the flavor of life. Coca-Cola is good because God is good. Not because of Coca-Cola. If you don't like Coca-Cola, pick something up. A nice light roast coffee in the morning. Is good because God is good. Not because the coffee is good, but because God's good. You are the light of the world. So we've been salt, now we're light. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What does light do? It points your way. It leads your way. It shows you the world around you. If we are the light, we're showing people the world and the reality of what's going on. And what's going on is that people are bad, God is good, and we need him to be good. 
That's the reality. That's what the light does. It shows, it shows what was hidden in the darkness. And what's hidden in the darkness is the evil in man's heart. And I say that we're bad not because everything we do is bad, but because we can never be perfect. It just, it just it can't happen. And so therefore, if we're dark, we need light. Now, it's really cool that Jesus called us light because he actually called himself the light. So he's equating us. It says, not only are we the light of the world, but we are Christ's representatives on earth. Why, how are we his representatives? Where did we get that? Because he actually gave us his own title. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. And then here in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. What an incredible, incredible thing for Jesus to say about us. So if he called us and himself the light, he must have given a great power and responsibility to his followers. Jesus, if Jesus is God, and, and he gave us the title that God, God gave himself, then he must think us pretty important to the world. We are not God, but we are his representatives. So we say all of that to say, don't settle for a Christian. Be salt. Be light. Don't settle for this, just this name tag and you live your life. Bring flavor to your relationships. Show the way of grace. I want to show a little video, very short, as we finish up. This guy's really interesting. Uh, he's British. I love his accent. It's awesome. Um, but he talks a little bit about what we do as a church. So let's, let's, let's give it a look. People often say to me, they say, Jay John, you know, what, what do you do? Uh, it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well... <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. <laughs> She went, wow! <laughs> and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? <laughs> I said, it's called the church. <laughs> you know what he's explaining? 
salt and light. The church has been, is, and will be because of the goodness and grace of God, salt and light. Orphanages, hospitals, hospices, schools, marriage work, reconciliation work. It's it's so exciting to know that God's people are the ones doing that. We've brought flavor to this world. I'm I'm not saying nobody else has ever done anything good. But look at the record of the church. When we're salt and we're light. So let's not settle for Christian. Let's not settle for reverend, you know? I, worked, I, I, I went to seminary, and then I, uh, kind of uh, a year, year or two after that, I, I finally became a reverend. Um, but that shouldn't be my name tag. We work for a global enterprise th- that loves people and brings flavor to their tasteless existence and lights their way with the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We, we ask that you will um, sort of be with us this week. Thank you for an opportunity to worship together in, in, in song and in, and in word. I pray that you'll bless our time this week. May we be honoring and be salty and full of light for this world and our community. In Jesus' name, amen.